Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to episode 35 of the No Look Pass podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world if you're here with us. We appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son, who is officially so old, he falls asleep during NBA Finals games. And I have my co-host with me, Andy Flint Flimo with Good. And I've I've officially been that old for uh, three or four seasons now. The West Coast games are hard to keep up with, and these primetime playoffs and finals games are, are just as hard. Real quick, I wanted to give a shout-out to everybody who's rocked with us all season uh, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and, and listening into the show, because if you guys hadn't been, then we'd just be a couple of morons here spouting our opinions every week, and no one would hear it. So I'm glad you guys are all here. We're thankful for the audience, and, and keep tuning in. Yeah, we're definitely still still a couple of morons just spouting what we feel, but it's, it's nice to have other people listen to us. Uh, I used to troll people, by the way, for, for falling asleep during basketball games, like NBA Finals games. I would I would just think, you're not a true basketball fan if you, if you fall asleep during an NBA Finals game. I don't understand. And then I got to that age, and, and now I understand, so I apologize in advance, you know, in retrospect to all those people. Andy, we're skipping the outlet pass. We're skipping everything. We already know what we want to talk about. Obviously, there is one obvious thing on the mind, what we need to talk about is finding Dory. Andy, how was it? Did they find Dory? Andy Flint went to watch Finding Dory on Friday, and we need to know what happened. No spoilers. Listen, with, without the spoiler alerts, I thought it was a terrific film. Um, you know, it had everything that the Finding Nemo movie had to, to start with, and the baby Dory is absolutely positively the cutest thing I've ever seen. And now we're back into mean mode because I'm going to roast people. Yeah, you can say she's adorable, but whatever, bars. Uh, ah. So let's get into NBA Game 7. The first thing we have to do, Andy, Andy Flint and I, we really have to get this out of the way. Uh, we sort of eulogize the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I know Cleveland fans, you're sitting at home just, just, thinking, just thinking it. We know it's too late, but we're going to apologize anyways. We wrote your eulogy. We were wrong. Game seven of the NBA Finals is tomorrow night. Andy, first of all, the first thing I want to ask you is I know you have your Blue Clues notebook like you do every show. you got everything written down. If, if you have to say one thing on this show, what is one thing you want to tell me about the NBA Finals? Anything about it. It could be about game seven. It could just be about the finals in general. Thing in that notebook that has to be said. This is the best worst finals I've ever seen. Like game seven, and there's been all the drama anyone could ask for in a in a final series or a playoff series uh, in general. But the games have been blowouts. I mean, I, you know who's pretty much going to win before it's over with, and and that kind of stinks. But yeah, it's the best worst finals I've ever seen. It's like the scene in Varsity Blues when James Vanderbeek called the dumbest smart kid you know, I've ever met. So it's, it's kind of that thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that that's a good that's a good note to start on. So what we're gonna do is be, be, before we talk about Game Seven, we want to talk about how we got here, and then we want to talk about Game Seven, and then sort of talk about the future. So we're gonna do past, present, future kind of thing going on here. So my first question to you, Andy Flint, is how did we get here? Because you and I have not spoken since Game Two, in which we kind of both thought that this was over. So how did we get to the point where we have a Game Seven now? What did the Cavs do to turn this around? I mean, I I think they just did what they had been doing. I, I, you know, I, I think it's easy to look at the Eastern conference and say, well, you know, they had a cakewalk there and for all intents and purposes, they did, but they were dominant. I, I think sometimes you tend to look over when a team gets swept or if a team gets beaten five games, you, you tend to look over what the winning team actually did. And you kind of just cast it aside and say, well, they played nobody, you know, things like that. And I think that that can be leading. It's kind of a fool's gold in a sense, because, Golden State's kind of been punched in the mouth now, and they're like, wait, wait, wait. You know, I, I thought, you know, Cleveland wasn't even supposed to be a top three or four team. And, you know, that, those are words I've spoken personally. I thought the Cavs were the fourth best team in the league. And now they're on the verge of, of upsetting the, you know, the best regular season team ever. And it's, it's amazing. I, I think Cavaliers' confidence has stood out more to me than anything. And LeBron James is just in complete, like, oh, you thought I was done mode? And, and now he's just prime LeBron, and it, it's very scary. I would say that everything you said is true, and I also think, and I know this is like the famous question, and I normally hate this question. It, it's sort of, are the Cleveland Cavaliers winning this series, or are the Golden State Warriors losing this series? I always think that's a weird question, but to me, it's really the role players for the Golden State Warriors, guys that have consistently, I've seen the Golden State Warriors miss shots that I've seen them hit literally for the last two years. Like, Harrison Barnes has not missed corner threes, ever. Open corner threes. Harrison Barnes, you can just put it in the bank. And this guy, who is going to probably get a max contract this, you know, this offseason in free agency, regardless, he just looks like useless out there. And I, that's the one thing we're going to get into is, you know, sort of how how deep does Steve Kerr go? You know, does he have short leashes for certain people? But you know, we have all these kind of guys. I mean, Livingston had an incredible game one. I believe he had 20 points in game one, and then he's sort of been useless, you know, for for these last few games. Iguodala obviously injured but a guy that they really rely on. So I, I think it's easy to focus on Steph and Clay. And, I mean, I think Clay's had a, had a great series, but obviously Steph has struggled, I and mean, that, that's sort of been one of the storylines. But you have these, these players for the Warriors that have traditionally been, you know, book them. You know what I mean? Maurice Spates, book them for, for 10 points off the bench, you know, when you're not expecting it. And Steve Kerr's tried everything that, that, that I can think of. So he does have sort of a couple of tricks up his sleeve. Again, we'll get into that in a little bit. But that was the one thing that I think. I think that's that's how we got here. Is is not so much. I mean, LeBron James has been amazing. Kyrie Irving been amazing, no question. Tristan Thompson been amazing. But to me, it, it's really if the Warriors are on their game, they are the team to beat. And I think that we've just seen that they're they're giving us their their B game if at best right now. And, and that's that's sort of I think how we got here. But a sort of similar question, Andy. Is there one moment you can think of? Is there was there a turning point in this series for you where you thought? oh, wow, this, this this has become a series. This is no longer just, you know, we're just waiting to see when the Warriors are going to win this series. Uh, you know, I, I think that the the real turning point in this series uh, obviously had to come back two games ago, game five, um, with the, yep. the the 41 and the 41. And I, I, think it, I think it was LeBron James, honestly. I, I really do, and, I mean, I think that's the easy thing to say, and I know all you haters right now, you're rolling your eyes when I start talking about LeBron. But 
it wasn't that he scored 41. It was how he scored 41 because we started thinking, oh, you know, they've got some aces in the hole. Uh, Golden State because they have Iguodala and they have Draymond Green and these are guys who have given LeBron a tough time these are guys who want to give LeBron a tough time Draymond Green I mean he wanted nothing more than to to have LeBron James and now he's got him and he's torching these guys you know you know what I've seen and I'll tell you straight up game game six showed me the most I love Draymond Green but he absolutely positively cannot guard LeBron James but he can't like I think a lot of what he was doing before when you would put him on LeBron in situations, was he was relying on the help that he was going to get from a guy who's no longer there. My favorite player, block me on Twitter, Andrew Bogut. Uh, we talked about that. And, and I think they're, they're reeling, and I think Iguodala is the only guy on that roster who can stay in front of LeBron James. And if his back is all Tracy McGrady'd up, it's not going to work. So I, th- I really think that <laughs> turning point was LeBron James' game five where he just showed these guys, you, you think you can guard me? He gave him the Russell Westbrook, what? You know, and, and from there on now it's, it's been – attack mode and I think they're going to have a real problem with LeBron tomorrow because he's confident yeah first of all I, I appreciate that you just threw a shade at Trace McGrady for no reason whatsoever <laughs> second of all I think LeBron, what, I love what you, you're describing about LeBron is the same exact look he gave Steph Curry when he blocked his shot in, in game six I agree I also think it was game five more specifically I think it was the fourth quarter of game five because I'll be honest after the first two games, obviously, we did this podcast, and as we said, we sort of wrote the Cleveland Cavaliers off. Games three and four sort of went exactly how I thought they were going to go. I thought Cleveland would sort of defend home court in game three, come out with the energy. I think we see that time and again, the home team comes out. And then game four was sort of sets the game. You know what I mean? If you can win game four as the home team, then it's 2-2, two, two, it's three games series. And it was a close game. It was, it was what I expected, a close game, but the Warriors being the better team won game four, and then it was pretty much over. You're, you're just waiting for you know, when is Cleveland going to lose? When is this going to happen? Is it going to be in five? Is it going to be in six? Whatever. And then game five happened, and you're like, this is probably over. Even three quarters through game five, I was just like, it's a close game. The Warriors are at home. They're going to wrap this up tonight. It's over. And then whatever happened in in game five in the fourth quarter, you know, LeBron was – obviously he had a great game all night, but they just locked down really defensively is is where it happened. And the Warriors, you know, we're talking about one of the most prolific – basketball teams in the history of the NBA ever. You know, not just this season, not just this decade. Like, in the history of the league, this is one of the most prolific offensive teams, and they just could not hit a basket. And it was was an amazing display by the Cavaliers defensively, and I think that was the moment where I thought, wow, this is, like, this is going to be something. And I actually messaged you on Facebook, we were talking about it, and I thought that the Warriors were still going to win game six, because I thought that LeBron and Kyrie exerted so much energy to get themselves out of Oakland in game five with the win that I just thought they weren't going to be able to duplicate that in game six. And I was wrong. Um, and they did do that. So now that brings us to game seven, which is where we're at, which is what everybody wants to talk about. Give us one thing to look out for tomorrow night in game seven that, that you think is going to make a difference. I, I think the biggest thing to look out for um, <clears throat> is going to fall again on Cleveland, because I do still think Cleveland's the underdog in the series. Um, Tristan Thompson, if Tristan Thompson can give the Cavs anything like he gave them in game six, I, I feel like Golden State is, is going to, and I keep saying this a lot, is going to be in trouble because Tristan Thompson, it, he, it wasn't that he was better than everybody. He just out-hustled everybody. He wanted the ball more than every single player in a Golden State jersey or a Cavs jersey for that matter. He just wanted the basketball. And his, I think, 
with Tristan Thompson, who has a limited offensive game, once he starts playing so well defensively, moving his feet, getting some plays in there, grabbing offensive rebounds, getting defensive rebounds, doing all the little things, I think it makes his confidence skyrocket. And as soon as that started happening, he was setting screens, diving to the hoop. You, Tristan, when you see Tristan Thompson diving to the hoop every play, good things are going to happen because LeBron James wants to give you that ball. And LeBron James wants to give you the ball as close to the basket as possible. He always has. This is his thing. LeBron would prefer to pass the ball. And when you get players so bought into something like Kyrie Irving and Tristan Thompson, I think it just makes a world of difference. So Tristan Thompson to me is really the key for the the game on both sides. I think his, his play makes the biggest difference. I think we saw a microcosm of Tristan Thompson in this playoffs in Bismack Biombo. If, if we remember, it was sort of like Bismack Biombo was a kind of guy where he's never an offensive threat, but the more confidence he got, he was crashing the board, same thing, hustle. He sort of became like an offensive player. You know, he was taking like 17-footers at some point. You're like, Bismack Biombo, I didn't even know you jumped on jump shots, and now you're hitting them. I don't understand. And But then the thing is, is that Tristan Thompson is more talented than Bismack Biombo. I mean, a guy like Tristan Thompson has the potential to do more than what he's even doing right now because this guy was, what, a top four pick in the NBA draft. I mean, really, people had high hopes for Tristan Thompson, and he has sort of turned into more of a specialty player in in his career, especially with his offensive rebounding. But it's not like he can't do these other things that he's doing, and it's not like he doesn't have the potential to do it, unlike a guy like Bismack Biyombo where you're like, you've been in the league for how many years? You just are who you are, and now you're this other person we don't understand. So I agree. I think the Tristan Thompson thing is a big deal, and – I don't really expect it to change because I think we've seen the Warriors struggle with this even going back to the Western Conference Finals. We said when the Warriors won Game 7, we said they never really solved the Thunder rebounding problem. They never solved it. They just happened to win the series, but we actually both thought, I think I definitely thought, and I think you agreed with me, that the Thunder were kind of the better team in that series, and they crashed the boards, and the Warriors never really had an answer for that. And they really haven't had an answer for it in the Finals either. It's just a matter of you know those 50-50 balls going a certain way. And but for me, I think the one thing to look out for is Andre Iguodala. If if Andre Iguodala is, is going to give you, you know, what he did at the at the end of Game Six, you know, not not through a fault of his own, obviously he's injured. But if he can't go, if he, if he's not capable, I think that's going to be a huge problem for the Golden State Warriors because of what you brought up. Because I think Draymond Green is a great defender, but I also think he's a better team defender than he is an individual defender and like you said I don't think he can defend LeBron James at this point especially with the confidence that LeBron has his need to go to the rim his willingness to just go to the rim at at all costs um, and the fact that he's hitting jump shots so you can't really back up on LeBron like you that's usually the way to play LeBron you just say that three-pointer we'll live with that because you're not going to the rim but you know, Draymond is quick. You know, he's he's a quick you know he's a quick guy, especially for his size. But he's not quicker than LeBron. LeBron's going to be able to take him off the dribble. So with, without Iguodala able to defend LeBron on a regular basis, I think that's a huge problem for Golden State, and I don't think they have an answer for it on their roster to to really account for the absence of Iguodala on LeBron James. Yeah, and I think the the problem is is now you find yourself in a situation where I do I think Tr- Draymond Green is a terrific defensive player, but you you hit the nail on the head. He is like he's like the oil that runs the entire defense. He's like the lifeblood. He makes the team better defensively because he can be in so many places and he can help in so many ways. But one big thing we're seeing here now is I think Golden State is a defensive team 
who's good at shooting three-pointers rather than a three-point shooting team who's good at playing defense because I think the defense they're able to play allows them to shoot all of these what we would call bad shots. And now they're still shooting these shots because that's the only thing they know how to do on offense. I mean, it, it's got to be hard to tell a team who can do no wrong shooting the basketball that all of a sudden they can't shoot the basketball anymore. That, it's tough, and it, right. it's tough to watch. But I think losing Andrew Bogut is really the key here because Draymond Green can confidently guard LeBron James knowing even if I get taken to the hole, Bogues is going to be there. And, and if there's one good thing Andrew Bogut does, it's defense. So now Green gets beat. And all of a sudden you have somebody like Festus Azili there, a guy who can't really bring the same type of defense that Bogut can bring. So I absolutely agree with you. Andre Iguodala is the answer to LeBron James. He was last year. That's why he won the MVP. He has been this year. Game six, it was hard to watch. And it was really tough for me to watch Iguodala struggle with the back pain. I mean, getting, you know, getting the rub downs in between and going to the locker room and all that kind of stuff. It's tough. But, and, and I honestly don't think, I don't care what Steve Kerr or what anybody else says, I, I think Iguodala is probably going into game seven 50% at best with the back. Back injuries, my friends, do not just go away. It's not a sprained ankle or something that you can tape up. I mean, you can tape the back, but good luck. It's It's one of those things that's, kind of like the domino effect once your back is is gone it affects every single thing your legs you can't jump you can't move as well your arms i mean it, it's just everything so to see iguodala brown james knows that he was feeling himself he's shooting step back threes i just think it, it's it's troublesome if you're golden state yeah i think i think andre iguodala is going to have enough toward all in the system to make nurse jackie jealous and I think anybody that has mowed, any middle-aged man that has mowed their own lawn knew that that walk that, that Andre Iguodala had to have going on in game six. We all know that, that little hunch look. Uh, so I hope, I really hope that, that, that he turns it around miraculously because I, I really do feel like he is the key to make it a, a competitive game seven. I think otherwise LaPoncha is going to go crazy. In saying that, so we have Andre Iguodala. I think one of the questions that, that – I have one question for each team, and then we can definitely go further than that. But I think the one question for each team is, how deep does Steve Kerr go into his rotation? Because all playoffs, really, I mean, it, it sort of paid off against OKC, and he hasn't really stopped doing it in these finals. Steve Kerr has gone like 10, 11, 12 deep in these, in these games. Like, you, you know, you see guys like Brandon Rush coming in and James Michael McAdoo. So in game seven, do you think he really just says, all right, we're going, I'm going with the nine guys that I know are going to get me here. Do you think he's still trying to find that magic? Do you think he's still trying to find somebody that's going to go out and and make a difference in this series? I mean, if you. I, I'm I'm losing Andy here, so let me let me answer my own question first, and then and then we'll try and get back to Andy here in a second. So I honestly think that he's still going to go deep because I, I I don't think that that it's really uh, I think it's it's something that he's just decided to do, and it's something that he's going to do. I'm curious. There's one guy that they really haven't played that I think may see some minutes here, and that's Ian Clark. This is a guy that I really thought gave them good minutes in the regular season. Every time he was out on the floor. I, I thought that this was a guy that, that's valuable to them. And I'm curious if Harrison Barnes is going to get six minutes in, in game seven to sort of show that he's still Harrison Barnes, that he can give them something. And if he doesn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised to just see him on the bench for the rest of the game or, you know, maybe start the second half, the six minutes, same thing. 
Um, but I really think Ian Clark and, you know, Brandon Rush is another guy I, I'm expecting to see. And I, I think Harrison Barnes is going to have a very short leash in Game 7. So, Andy, uh, answer your question if, if you're back with us. How, how deep do you think Steve Kerr goes? I think Kerr has to be sh- – be in the shallow end a little more in this game. I mean, because some of these guys see heavy minutes. I think he has to go with the guys he trusts most. But, I mean, it's game seven. you got to play your stars. You know, get these guys out here. Curry's not going to be in foul trouble like he was in, in game six unless he's out there, you know, doing crazy stuff with five fouls like last time. I don't know what he was doing there. But, yeah, that was great. I feel like your rotation, your leash has to shorten up a little bit. Harrison Barnes is going to be the interesting factor, obviously, because if he doesn't get to play, you know, a normal flow of like 25 minutes or something like that, who's going to step up and Ian Clark is interesting. Um, Leandro Barbosa, I think gives them solid minutes. You got a guy who's willing to, to shoot the basketball or drive to the basket, do all the little things. He plays good defense, but I, I think the key for me for Kerr is to kind of shorten that leash a little bit and maybe not give so many minutes to, to random guys, but you know, with guys hurt, Iguodala hanged up, Bogut out. You, you just never know. True. True, they do have a lot of injuries, and you you do really still have to wonder how how much Iguodala is going to play. So, the the flip side to that, I think, is can LeBron and Kyrie maintain their energy energy in a game seven? Because these guys have really, especially LeBron, have exerted so much energy to get to this game seven. I mean, game five, they both of them pretty much put the team on their back. Game six, I mean, they had a pretty good lead, but still, I mean, they both played big minutes. You know, it, even though it was a blowout. You know, and, and they both were a huge part. And I think at some point, I mean, I know LeBron is obviously LeBron's a little older. Kyrie is sort of, I mean, Kyrie is young enough where maybe he can maintain the energy. I guess my main worry is about LeBron. Do you think at some point in in Game Seven, maybe in the fourth quarter or the third quarter, where we're, we're going to look at these guys and be like, they're done? You know what I mean? It's it, it's too much for them. They've they've exerted all of their energy to get them to this point, and they don't have anything left in the tank. Where whereas you have a Warriors team that is deep that has been deep all playoffs all season, really. And this year is, like, how many fourth quarters has Steph Curry sat out because he didn't have to play, you know? So do you think that's going to be an issue in Game 7, or do you just think there's just enough adrenaline in a Game 7 that it's not an issue at all? Is it crazy that Steph's caught so much rest this year and LeBron has been, like, a tank having to put his head through walls and Curry looks like the guy who's more gassed than LeBron? I think LeBron's still in the prime of his career. You and I talked a little bit earlier in the season about how LeBron, you know, may be losing a step. He's getting up there. He's, you know, the same age as me. I'll be 33 this summer. Um, you know, we're, we're getting to the point. But, man, this guy looks so good. I, Le, LeBron James is really to the point, I think, where it's like, yo, these guys think Steph Curry's the best player in the league? Russell Westbrook? Yeah. We're talking about KD? LeBron's like, no, I'm not having it. And I, I don't think for a second that we have to worry about uh, being tired is a factor. I think he wants it too much. Mike Miller had an interesting quote the other night saying he's only seen LeBron James like this in 2012. He's hungry. And I think as a result of that, he showed Kyrie, yo, isn't it fun winning playoff games? <laughs> I mean, Kyrie's <laughs> wanted this. This is, this is what he's been playing for. I mean, this is what everybody plays for. But Kyrie hasn't had a chance until LeBron came to town. And I think he's bought into LeBron James. And I think Kyrie is, you know, playing off of that. You know, I, I think they're going to be okay. And Kevin Love, for goodness sake, he's got to be fresh, yeah. right? I mean, it's about, besides the back of his head from that elbow Kevin. a few games ago. We, we need Kevin yeah, to do I, something. So I, I, I don't think I, – I don't want to give Cleveland the excuse that they're tired. I think they're going to play. They've been playing well. They're going to keep doing it. So real quick, before we move on to the, to the future part of this, um, if Cleveland wins tomorrow, 
and Kevin Love does not have a big game and he's not a factor, I think we need to come to the conclusion that the Cleveland Cavaliers may be a better team without Kevin Love. And in so, do you think that a Cleveland championship might actually be Kevin Love's ticket out of Cleveland? Or do you think they just maintain it because, hey, we're champions, we're not going to change anything? Or is it one of those things where they, they look back and say, oh, we're champions because Kevin Love got in enough foul trouble and missed enough games where we realized that our best lineup doesn't involve him? I mean, I think that win or lose, Kevin Kevin Love may walk into, like, the Cavs front office on Monday and Donald Trump may be sitting in there with the or fired sign. And I, I just – I don't – and it's not even anything against Kevin Love, but I don't love him for this team. I don't really think I did from the start. I mean, I, he's a terrific player. But I, I do think that pieces need to fit, and I was curious about – Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I, I think either way it's, it's over for Kevin Love. Uh, all right, let's move on to, to the future part. So my first question is, is Warriors based, and then I have a, a Cavaliers based. Does a loss nullify, like Clay Thompson said, it's, 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 the season's a failure uh, if they don't win if they don't win Game Seven? Do you agree with that? Do you think the loss nullifies the seventy-three win season for the Warriors? I mean, it's always going to be written down, um, but. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I think it's so very tough to not only win 73 games, break the record, but then not be able to, you know, finish it off. But I also think it, it's hard when you went up three to one, you know, in in, a, yeah. in the finals, in the NBA finals on the biggest stage. So, yeah, I think it, it really does. I think it almost cancels out all the great things they did. Yeah, I, I think it sort of can I think it'll end up being like the Patriots in the NFL where they just have that 18-1 and one series. Nobody really remembers the, the fact that the Patriots – when 16 and 0, they remember the fact that the Giants beat them at the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? That that's sort of yeah. what they're remembered for. So I, I I sort of think it'll it'll be a similar scenario for them. Um, same vice versa. If the Cavaliers lose tomorrow, do you think the loss nullifies the comeback effort? Is is LeBron just going to be just two and five in the finals, or does he get credit like let's say he wins the MVP in a losing effort, which I think is very possible because I don't think anybody on the Warriors has really played at an MVP level. And obviously LeBron has been just a complete monster. So um, I think it's possible he wins the MVP even in a losing effort. And if he does that, do you think that that nullifies sort of the what they're going to say about him? Like, is it just going to be his record in the finals is two and five, or is it going to be sort of like an asterisk next to this one specifically? I mean, I think even if they win, people are still going to have their opinions about LeBron James, which are corny. I mean, you guys are crazy. <laughs> um, I, I just. I, I don't I don't at this point I feel like LeBron James needs to win the title the next three years in a row for anybody to even like consider him you know and not, not anybody I mean the masses to consider him you know to be the great player that he actually is but um, you know I I think for the Cavs it's kind of like the Warriors they've already exceeded so many expectations I think at this point because everybody knows it. I mean if you don't understand how much better the Golden State Warriors are as a team than the Cleveland Cavaliers then you need to watch more basketball. That that is a fact. So that being said, I think to come not only come back from the three to one deficit, but make this a game seven against a team that most of us really probably didn't think you had a chance against. Although I did pick the Warriors in seven. Um, yeah, I, I just think yeah, yeah I, I think Cleveland is is more than exceeded my expectations, and I feel like uh, you know LeBron James, love him or hate him, he's he's an animal, and I think people are still going to have their opinions regardless of what happens. Yeah, I, I almost agree, agree wholeheartedly. I don't think he should. Like, I don't think he should get all the flack and just be two and five in the finals if they lose game seven, but I think he's going to end up – and that's going to be what does happen 
just because LeBron is so polarizing, I think people are just looking for an excuse, and they'll just completely forget the fact that he was dominant in game five and six, and then just say, well, he only had 35 in game seven, and, you know, he, he didn't really do it the best way. It's like, come on, give me a break. All right, let's 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 get down to it before before we end the show. Who do you got? The, I, like you said, you picked the Warriors in seven the beginning of this series. I picked the Warriors in six. Do you, do you think that they're – it seems like you're a little skeptical. I, I'm going to say from, from what you said throughout the show about the Warriors right now. So are you, are you flopping? Are you going Cavaliers? No, I'm taking the Warriors in seven. Um, I've said it all day. <laughs> I knew it. I, I really I, – I honestly, I'm going to – I, I'm going to look forward to a great game, but I'm, I'm going to stick with what I said at the beginning. And not just because I said it at the beginning, but because I think Golden State is too good of a team to lose three in a row and two of them being home games, uh, five and seven, obviously. So, no, I'm, I'm rocking with the, with the Warriors. I'm, I'm the same way. I, I just can't, I can't see it. Like, I'm just too much of a, like a logical person, I don't know. Like I just can't get like momentum or something like that. It, it always happens to me. I just cannot see this Warriors team losing three times in a row. I just can't visualize it. It doesn't make sense in my mind. And I mean, I'm kind of rooting for the Cavs at this point, just because I like underdogs. But and I think at this point, like you said, the Warriors are the better team, so they are the underdogs. And it's and it's in Oakland. So, but I just I just see the Warriors winning. Okay, we have our co-signs, our Facebook groups co-sign. They co-sign the podcast. We co-sign them. That's how we move. Uh, sports overtime, S P O R T Z overtime, real NBA talk and NBA news. Go, you know, like them on Facebook and follow the groups. They all have good discussions. Andy Flint, we're going to close like we do every week. Like Jay Z once said, we don't believe you. You need more people. Who needed more people this week in the NBA? Every single one of you goofballs posting anything from that idiot, Tim Donahue. If you post one more thing trying to use it as a valid opinion from that guy, the scumbag, I mean, come on. You guys are Whoa. nuts. Since when do we believe him? Oh boy, uh, I'm actually I'm going with I'm going with us, Andy. Uh, we attended the Cleveland Cavaliers funeral last week, not knowing that they had the Lady of Fire on their side to pull a Jon Snow for them, and they have LeBron James. How could we be so stupid, yo? Everybody, I don't even know. We don't believe you. You need more people, including us. We needed more people. That is our show for this week. Join us next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at NLP Podcast to see us. Tweet Wizard of Oz basketball memes and like us on Facebook.com slash NLP pod. That's N like Norman Noel, L like Lance Stevenson, P like Pablo Prigioni. We will close as we always do with the great basketball philosopher Jason White Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar, sometimes better pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.